So when you convert a property from investment into your primary residence, after it's been the subject of a 1031 exchange, here's the rules. You have to have owned it for at least five years. You have to have lived in it for at least two out of the five years prior to selling it. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Dave Foster from the 1031investor.com. Dave has been on the show before. He's an expert in the 1031 exchange space. He's a qualified intermediary. He can help you guys with that if you're looking to do a 1031. And today, we're learning about quite a few things, frankly, around the 1031 tax deferred exchange. First, we talk about how the pandemic has changed the 1031 exchange landscape and what we can learn, uh, potentially learn from the Great Recession to you know today in our current situation and, and kind of maybe read the tea leaves a little bit, learn from what happened in the past and what may happen in the future or may not, how things are, are maybe the same or maybe different in some ways. So really interesting stuff. And then we also talk about a number of ways to use the 1031 exchange as a part of a broader strategy to go from an active real estate portfolio to a more passive real estate portfolio with the added caveat that is a very unique strategy, frankly, I've never heard before involved here with the 1031 exchange to use the 1031 exchange and avoid some of the the, the issues or the complications with the 1031 exchange. And, and like I said, I haven't heard this one before and it makes it really interesting. So even if you've heard about the 1031 exchange and you think you know about you know about it, which shoot, I, I think I know about it, right? But Dave is the expert and he's bringing a lot of really new ideas in here today. And, and one in particular with this strategy that, I mean, shoot, he and I are gonna be collaborating on blog posts about this. This is, this is I think, potentially revolutionary to the 1031 exchange as, as a part of the real estate ecosystem. So a lot of great stuff in here. You're gonna enjoy it so much. You're gonna learn so much. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate. If you're interested in learning more and potentially getting access to our passive commercial real estate investment opportunities, just go to investwithtaylor.com. Take take the steps there and uh, we'll be in touch. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Once again, thank you for tuning in. Our guest is Dave Foster from the 1031investor.com. Without any further ado, here we go. Dave, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for coming back on the show. It's great to talk with you once again. And I, you know, we were just talking before the show how long it's been. It's awesome to be back. It's crazy to think back. Uh, the, for the listeners out there, we recorded an initial interview uh, with you, Dave, in October of 2019, before the COVID pandemic, before all the stuff that's happened. It's been great catching up with you. Um, for our listeners out there who haven't heard that one, can you tell us about your background and, and what you do, what you help, help investors with? Sure. Yeah, what I am is what's called a qualified intermediary for Section 1031 tax deferred real estate exchanges. And what that means just in simple terms is when you sell investment property that you've either depreciated highly 
or that has appreciated highly, you can sell that. And by using a process called the 1031 exchange, go buy new investment property of any type. And in so doing, you get to indefinitely defer paying the tax that you normally would have had to have paid. So it is such a great way when you're thinking about deferring that tax, it's such a great way to harness what Albert Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world, compound interest. Because when you, you're able to take that deferred tax and you're using it for your benefit. So if you've got a $200,000 gain, that could very easily be a $30,000 tax bill. Or if you're in California, it could be a fifty or $60,000 tax bill. But by getting to use it yourself, just think of the possibilities. If instead of giving that to the government, you were able to make 10% a year on that $30,000, that's $3,000 a year indefinitely in your pocket over the course of a 20 or 30 or 40 year additional lifespan. I don't know about you, Taylor, but that's real money to me. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And, you know, in, in kind of reflecting on our, our previous conversation, we spoke uh, before the pandemic happened and so much has changed since then. And, and I wanted to get an update from you on how the pandemic changed the, the 1031 industry, the rates are, you know, how, are, how much are people doing? I mean, property values are way up. So I have to imagine that has some effect on things, but what have you seen from your business? Oh yeah. I mean, most definitely, obviously the greater the profit and the quicker the profit, then the sooner you want to start moving properties. Sure. But it's actually more, in my mind, the impact of this market has been the velocity and how the market has shrunk as just like the world shrinking, right? It's a smaller place. The real estate market in the United States is a much smaller place. 20 years ago, if you were in California, you invested in California. Here we are in 2021 and 2021, and you could live anywhere and invest anywhere and feel totally comfortable doing it. So what is important typically to a real estate investor is that as they're growing their portfolio, they're not just buying more, but they're buying different as well. So as I grow, I may not want to stay as a single, uh, as a single family residence investor forever. I may want to move into multifamily, or I may want to move into commercial or raw land or industrial. And typically that takes a few years to do it. But what's happened because the market has shrunk is that that's all happening faster and faster. And you and I have seen that just in spades, haven't we? How everybody started buying, cherry picking these little small single family homes. And before you know it, they're buying 300 unit apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And the ability to do that without having to pay tax is part of what's letting them leverage that so quickly. So I think the velocity that things are moving at has really ramped up the opportunities. Yeah, I was honestly very surprised at the beginning of the pandemic when you know, looked like the whole, whole world was falling apart, lending froze really for a, a couple of weeks, not that very long. But once that kind of we got past that initial freeze, I mean, things really exploded and transactions just kept happening and, you know, things kept yeah. kept rolling, which is good. But, you know, the world might not always have, <laughs> behave the way we expect, I suppose. You know, what's funny is real estate investors are a hardy breed. 
<laughs> when we were in full quarantine lockdown. Do you remember that? That was for like, what, 90 days, 120 days, something well, you, like that? You live in Florida, so I think it was probably about the half the, half the length in Florida as it oh, was. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number one, that's very true. But number two, <laughs> everybody's trying to blame Florida. But when you looked at those first pictures, not one of those people on spring break was from Florida. <laughs> they were all down here from other places. It wasn't our fault. I'm just telling you. I know. But the, 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 uh, what I was talking about the Hardy Breed, during that actual lockdown period, I did not hear fear. There was none of this. Oh, I'm so scared to go look at a property. I'm scared to do an inspection. There was anger. Darn it. That realtor won't go with me. Or I'm going to go see this property and look in the windows. Investors wanted to invest. And that's what brought the recovery so quickly from a very brief short lockdown. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and that our experience, you know, with our properties and trying to buy new properties and all of that was, yeah, we wanted to sell, we wanted to buy, it, it came down to frustrations with, and, and I understand these frustrations, but, but tenants not wanting inspectors to come in again, you know, for, for reasonable reasons, right? We, it was a pandemic. I understand that, but still it's frustrating from a business owner standpoint of how this impacts, you know, the deals that we want to do. Right. Well, and let's take that a step forward then and look at what we think may be coming down the road because we've had a whole season now of rent abatements and deferrals, non-eviction orders, foreclosure holds, all of that's still got to play out. And it's very conceivable. There's quite a few over-leveraged investors that are going to need to sell. And, you know, I'm sorry, but one person's problem is another person's opportunity. And I think there's probably a lot of people that are kind of chomping at the bit to move back into the single family sector or to pick up some over-leveraged multifamily assets. And I think all that stuff's gonna, gonna come. But what I'm not seeing is anything right now that's going to cause a 2008. That's good to uh, Slow down, change of sector, different opportunities, different places, absolutely. But I'm not gonna see, I don't think, we're going to see 2008. At least I hope not. Well, I think one of the things that I always um, like to point out is, is when 2008 happened, it didn't happen because the world, you know, overbuilt in multifamily. It happened because of global capital markets. It was really something beyond what real estate investors were doing, and it, it got more complicated into the financial sector. Now, but that brings up a, a good point about in the 1031 world, like what happened around the the global financial crisis with 1031 exchanges. And can we learn anything from that to now? Yeah, absolutely. There's a huge lesson in there. So a couple of things that happened. 2005, 2006, the peak years, there were almost 600,000 1031 exchanges done. By 2008, that number was 75,000. So what was not happening? First of all, Nobody was selling properties. <laughs> Secondly, Dave was not making money. So I retired and moved on to our sailboat and left. Uh, <laughs> there's no business. You got to do what you got to do, right? Sure. So now as that sorted itself out, we lost two thirds of the realtors who were realtors in 2007. So they were gone. It's a new generation of realtors. Secondly, most of the investors at that time 
lost everything and couldn't rebuild. They started delivering pizzas at Domino's or they retired. Thirdly, the greatest buying demographic in today's market were in middle school at that time. So there's this whole bank of knowledge about 1031 exchanges that was lost, that had to be rebuilt. And so that's what we've steadily seen happening. Everybody now has got the idea. They understand it. Wow. I can defer the tax. I can do that. So the lesson is patience and looking for old opportunities to make money today. And then the converse of that would be looking for old risks to avoid today. And the greatest risk I saw was that, and I'll couch it this way, not one of my clients who did not have to sell a property got hurt. They are all multi, multi-millionaires today because when their property values dropped 90%, they didn't care because rents didn't. And they were not leveraged so high that they ever had to sell. Notes didn't get called because they were on long-term fixed financing. So they didn't have resets of their notes. They didn't have to sell. The rents coming in were plenty. And as you, well, you may or may not know from that era, we only saw about 90 days, 220 days where there was nobody renting. And as the foreclosures started to peak, rents actually rose dramatically because foreclosures take properties off the rental market. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. So every one of my old investors that could hang on to their properties have more money than Davy Crockett right now. <laughs> and so that's the lesson now, I think, is keep your leverage low enough, stress test your assets against a pretty healthy drop. And as long as you can keep the lights on, go for it. Be aggressive. And when the downturn comes, it's not going to come forever because the government learned a lesson too. I'm not sure it's a good one, but they learned a lesson. <laughs> does, the, does the government ever learn a good lesson? I, no, I know. Rarely, rarely. What but they what learned was the best way to solve a crisis is just give people money. True. And so 2008, who got the money? The banks. $80 billion of TARP financing. You know how much money the banks lost? Not a penny. Who got all the money in this market? General people, investors, and businesses. So what did we all continue doing? Buying real estate. Mm -hmm. So again, the inflation and all that stuff that goes along with it, that's a different topic maybe. But we know that the government has a predisposition to bail people out. So be responsible, be aggressive, and make sure you're at the front of the line when they're bailing you out. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. And, and we see that they run these bailouts, at least in the current paradigm, by running the money printer and putting more money into circulation. And ultimately, as real estate investors, inflation, more money printing, that only benefits us, right? That pushes assets upward. And if we're using reasonable leverage, that really multiplies our returns. Now, I want to maybe shift gears a little bit or maybe go a little broader because I think, especially when I originally heard about the 1031 exchange, I understood in principle, but I didn't really understand the ways it could be applied to, to build wealth in a, in a passive way or like how that can really be deployed to one's advantage. Great. I get to, you know, defer tax indefinitely. That sounds awesome. But, but how do I think about like way 
types of deals that I can do. And, and I think you've got some content for us yeah. uh, around that. So let's break into that. Absolutely. Well, and let's start with just understanding how the human person is made, right? What are we as humanity? When we're young, we have tons of energy. We have no money. And then we get into a point where we start to accumulate money and we still have energy, but that energy is being channeled into multiple aspects, career, real estate, children, family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we grow to a point where we have more money than we do energy. And yet the same demands on our time. And then as we approach the end of it all, I got plenty of money. I got plenty of time. I got no energy. Help (laughs) me finish the race. And that's, I mean, every human goes through that, right? So all the young guns that are dying to get into real estate investing and want to swing hammers, God bless you, go for it. But there's going to be a transition that you'll make when you realize that the most important commodity that you want or lack is not money anymore, it's time. And as you start to make that transition, we start to look at ways that you can use 1031 exchanges to move into assets that will accomplish that. And at the end, leave you in a position where all you got to do is use your rocker out to the mailbox every week and back. And as long as you can do that, you're okay. So the first, and I think, and I always, well, I always mention this because in my mind, it's the absolute most powerful tool to build real estate wealth. Although I know a lot of the gurus will disagree with me. Go buy a house and live in it. People say that's not an investment. I disagree, but for a whole bunch of reasons. But when you buy a house and you live in it, after you've lived in it for two out of the previous five years, you will get to take, if you're a married couple, the first $500,000 in profit tax free. Do you know how many times you can do that in your lifetime? I don't know. How many? Once every two years. Oh, okay. So if all you do is buy a house and live in it for a while and sell it and go buy a house and live in it for a while, you are putting tax-free dollars in your pocket at every turn. Now, yeah, you're not getting depreciation. And yes, you're the one paying the money. But you know what? You have heard the phrase house hacking, Mm -hmm. haven't you? So why not buy that house and do what my son is doing? rent a couple rooms out. So that's paying the mortgage. Now you're living for free. And yet you will still get the money tax free every two years when you sell. That's actually a pretty passive way of investing because you're not trying to run a a rental program. So I kind of like that for just people that want to generate tax-free dollars from real estate. Now, on the other side, though, investment real estate. We see a shift where people will go from things they actively manage, they'll buy a single family rental or a single family property or whatever. They'll fix it up and they'll sell it. That's a fix and flip, right? Mm -hmm. Well, those don't qualify for 1031 because your intent is to resell it. And dang it, dude, if you've ever done one of those, you know, that's as active as it gets. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You're swinging the hammer. You're riding hurt on the trades. It's a real job. And I am just lazy enough that I don't want a real job. (laughs) 
So what I will do is buy a property and fix it up and then rent it. So I'm not having to be frantic. And now those properties qualify for 1031 treatment. So you buy the property, you hold it, but maybe you get tired of that game and you don't want to be a manager of rentals. So some of the options, number one, move into something that's big enough that has in-house management. Maybe you can start to buy a multifamily property that has on-site management. Maybe you buy a vacation rental where there is central reservations and the property is being managed at a ski area. So you're not doing anything except enjoying it a little bit yourself and at the same time generating some income. Another step down that road that's still a little bit active is commercial triple net properties. You find properties that are commercial that are what are called triple net, which simply means that the tenant is responsible for all the expenses, taxes, insurance, and maintenance. So you don't do that stuff. The tenant does. You're managing the lease and the tenant. Another step towards passing. And these are all very consistent ways that our clients will go. The two, though, that are very, very interesting, and they've really only come about since this market, and that is what we now call syndications, near and dear to your heart, I know. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And Delaware Statutory Trusts. Now, syndication, the word simply means it's an asset that a bunch of people own together. But it's created with a management structure where they're all passive. We used to do this for racehorses all the time. Syndication for a Kentucky Derby winner. Well, now you guys are doing it for big apartment buildings. And you raise money, people invest money with you. And your limited partnership buys the property, value adds it, turns it into a winner, hangs on to it for a while, and then sells it. Now, all of the investors in that property don't do anything, do they? As a matter of fact, you kind of hope that they forget your phone number <laughs> because That's you're doing just sign. fine managing it. Yep. You don't need their input. No, it truly is as passive as it gets. Give you your money and then go away and we'll give you the checks. The problem from a 1031 perspective is that people that invest that way are not buying real estate. So if you're, you're buying an interest in an entity that owns real estate, that doesn't qualify for 1031. So you can't take this big portfolio of single family rentals and get rid of a bunch of headaches by investing in the syndication that way without paying the tax. But here's what you can do. And my gosh, we are seeing this so often now. You take 10 single family headaches, sell them, and 1031 exchange into a vacation home on, in Siesta Key or a mammoth ski area or wherever. You don't have to manage it. It's being pre-managed by central reservations. And as soon as you purchase it, do a cash out refinance with a second home loan. So it's 10% down, extremely favorable, long-term fixed financing. There's our inflation edge. Take that cash, which is tax-free, 
And where are we going to put it, Taylor? Where's it going to go? Syndication. There you go. So what you just do? You got out of headaches. You went from active to passive. You changed asset classes into something you get to enjoy a little bit. You took tax-free dollars and invested them in syndication so that now you're actually making money from two sources instead of one. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And I cannot believe this is the first time I've I've heard of that strategy, to be honest with you. I mean, everybody wants to talk about tenant in common arrangement. And we discussed that the last time you were on the show. But this is a lot more straightforward. And it also seems like it's it's available to a broader spectrum of investors. Tenant in common, you're talking about usually big amounts of capital, whereas in this case, you know, there are a lot of other options. Well, that's exactly right. And you know, the biggest bonus of it all is that cash out refinance, who's paying the mortgage? The tenant. Yeah. And who's getting the depreciation? You are. Who's getting the amortization? You are. Dude, it's it's the best. We're seeing this time after time after time, particularly because we're still in this narrow window where rates are incredibly low, but we all know that there's inflationary pressure coming. And if you want to hedge inflation, go refinance everything you've got on fixed interest loans that are low interest right now. 30-year fixed is your best friend when inflation comes calling. Well, I really like that too, that you know, with these vacation rentals, it's probably a lot less time pressing to acquire one of those than it is, okay, I got to sell this asset through a 1031 exchange and arrange a tenant in common with a syndicator. And that's going to be a lot of, of, of hassling. Whereas if you're going through a vacation rental, like provider type of agency, they can probably make that process maybe a little more streamlined for you. Maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. You ready for me to add a little more gasoline onto this? Go for it. Let's do it. All right. So here's a scenario. Let's say you bought two vacation properties, one in Surrey and St. Pete Beach, St. Petersburg, and you bought one at Vail. And you do your cash out refinance, you're invested in syndications. Checks coming in every day. The stat, the regulations for 1031 require that your intent when you buy those properties be to use it for investment. But you do not have to use those for investment forever. Hmm. So let's say you've had those properties, Vail and St. Pete, for a couple of years. You live in Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> and Cincinnati, Ohio has this funny thing in every garage. You know what it's called? A snow shovel. <laughs> and so it's time to get out of Dodge, right? It's time to retire. Gosh, I love the ski. I love the beach. Maybe I will retire into one of my vacation rentals. I'll live in St. Pete in the winter. I'll live in Vail in the summer. And when I convert the properties from the investment, that does not trigger the tax. So you continue to stay tax deferred till you die as long as you own those properties. But do you remember your Cincinnati property? I couldn't have forgotten about you? it. Yeah. Yeah. But when you sell it, what are you going to do? That money's tax free. Mm-hmm. So you start your retirement putting a chunk of tax free dollars in your pocket that buys you the convertible, the new set of skis, the Alaska vacation. 
and you move into your former rental properties. But remember, you did cash out refinances to invest in syndications. So you still have cash flow, but you've also got tax-free dollars. You got tax-deferred places to live. And my gosh, if you decide to maybe rent out a month or so here or there, more power to you. See how many different ways you're able to maximize that? Yeah. So something I'm wondering here is, okay, you move into uh, those those vacation rental properties. They become your primary residence. So how do you, what, what happens with the potential for the, you know, two-year capital gains exemption along with the 1031 exchange that's still kind of out there pending? And it's not going to get wiped out, is it? Ah, the creme de la creme. <laughs> Here we go. And I can explain it best by giving you an example. Okay. I have a, well, I'll tell you the statute first. So when you convert a property from investment into your primary residence, after it's been the subject of a 1031 exchange, here's the rules. You have to have owned it for at least five years. You have to have lived in it for at least two out of the five years prior to selling it. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you have to pay back all of the depreciation when you sell it, but you get to prorate the amount of gain between what is called qualified use when it was your primary residence and non-qualified use when it was used for investment. So you're not going to get all of the gain tax-free, but you're going to get a proration. So if you buy St. Pete, rent it for two years, then turn it into your primary residence for three. Have you owned it for five years? Yep. Did you live in it for two out of the previous five? Yep. When you sell it, you get 60% of the gain tax-free, three-fifths. You're going to have to pay depreciation recapture and 40% of the gain. If you hang out there for 10 years, you get 80% of the gain tax-free. It's all longevity game. So here's my real life example. I've got a realtor that owns three identical condos. They're on the same floor, <laughs> beachfront on St. Pete Beach. His retirement plan is that he used them all for investment. And when he retired, he sold his primary. Remember, that was all tax-free. He moved into the first one of those. Now, when he's finally tired of living there, he will sell that. And he'll get his proration tax-free. Is he going to pay some gain? Sure. He's going to pay some tax. But you know what? If I retire penniless, like I'm destined to, <laughs> if 1031 goes away again, I'm going to go to work at Publix Grocery, or I'm going to deliver pizzas for Domino's, and I'm going to pay taxes there. So he gets to pay taxes simply for living in a property. I got to pay taxes for actually working. Who's better off? His part-time job consists of living in a property. <laughs> Come on. And where do you think he's going to move when he wants to sell one to generate some money? Going to move to the next, next one. door. Yeah. And pretty soon his neighbors are going to be tired of helping him move. <laughs> but think about that. That's just so incredibly powerful. But that's what the current statutes allow us to do. 
Well, one of the things I really love about this that literally just hit me, I can't believe it didn't, but as I understand it, you know, you're, you're deferring these, these gains taxes, say I owe 50 grand in, in capital gains tax in 2022 dollars, but I'm going to defer that for the next 10 years, let's say whatever at the end of my plan in 10 years, as far as I understand, they're not tacking on interest or inflation or anything on that $50,000. I get to pay them back that $50,000 in, what I say, 10 years, 20, $2. $2. That's, exactly right. that's a huge that's exactly right. And I was making money on that the whole time. That's exactly right. We do a spreadsheet example. You know, I would have thought about it. We're going to add it up to show everybody, but basically in five transactions over 20 years, two, two investors who do the exact same thing, except one did 31s and one pays the taxes they go. Five transactions over 20, no, I'm sorry, four transactions over 20 years. At the end of that, the investor that does the 1031s owns $11.5 million of real estate. The investor who paid the tax owns $3.5 million. Now, I'm not going to weep for the investor that paid the tax, right? <laughs> right? He's doing okay. But which would you rather be? No doubt. And at, they owe about $500,000 in taxes. But if you've got $12 million of real estate, really, how long is it going to take you to pay off $500,000 in taxes if you want to pay them off? But most of our people just leave it deferred till they die. And when they die, people who say, Dave, i got to pay it sometime, just won't pay it now. Stop it. No, because when you die, your heirs get what is called a step up in basis. They inherit it as if they paid market value and you give them the property tax free. And that's an incredible legacy to give to the next generation. And it's all out there for us. We've got investors doing this every day. Man, I love that. I love that. Well, right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called ground floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Dave, 
I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show, but you've been on the show before you've answered those questions. I've got three new ones for it's been so long. I forgot the first ones. (laughs) Well, you have to go back and listen. I've got three (laughs) new ones for our returning guests. Are you ready to go? All right. All right. Great. First one. What is your favorite book to read for personal enjoyment reasons? I am a, oh, this is embarrassing. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings. Oh, me too, man. Which one? I have read all of them. The trilogy is my favorite. I read them over a hundred times. Whoa, you got me beat. Love them, love them, love them. And I turned my children into nerds as well. Nice. That's a good choice. That would honestly be my answer to that question as well. So we're, we're of a similar mind there. Well, we had your favorite personal book. Now we go to another reason that most folks in this business like to read, business reasons. What's your favorite book to read for business reasons? Oh, can I give you two? They're by the same author. Yeah. All right. The first one is so appropriate for today. It's called Whatever Happened to Penny Candy? Oh, I never heard of that. A gentleman by the name of Richard Marbury. Now, he wrote it at a middle school, junior high level, which actually is appropriate for me. (laughs) And it is the best primer on inflation you will ever read. And believe me, you need to know it right now. If you're listening out there, you'd better be braced for it because inflation is coming. It's going to have an impact, but there's plenty of ways to mitigate it. So whatever happened to Penny Candy and Richard Marbury also wrote another book that I love that has helped me identify where and what to invest in called The Clipper Ship Strategy. Two books nobody's ever heard of but they're on Amazon. You love them. And you may understand them. They're a little over my head. But I try. <laughs> well, I like that, that, that just, especially in light of today's conversation, especially that, that title, whatever happened to Penny Candy shoot. I mean, you know, that's a good, that's a really good question, right? Have you looked at a gumball machine in a store? <laughs> Not in a while. It's 50 cents or a dollar. It's expensive gum. All inflation. Yeah. Totally true. Well, the last question for our, our returning guests is, you know, we still, unfortunately, two years down the road, find ourselves in the midst of the pandemic. It may never go away. But when it does, where is the next place you're going for fun or for business after the pandemic is over? Oh, wow. You know, that's interesting you say it because we actually just this week started to feel comfortable enough to start planning that. Oh, so nice. Spain is on our radar. And the Isle of Capri in Italy. First two trips we're going to take. Awesome. I love that. Well, Dave, it's been great connecting with you once again. Thank you for bringing all the lessons today. If folks want to reach out, get in touch with you, if they want to find you on Bigger Pockets, I know you're super active there. You've got me beat or any of that. Where are they? Where can they uh, track you down? Where can they find you? Yeah, best way to track us down. Simply go to the1031investor.com. And they, we, we try to put Remember I said we'd lost a lot of campfire knowledge. We've got 32 videos about how 1031 is going to work for you. Calculators, articles, everything you need to take a look and see if it can work for you and access on how to reach all of us. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. It's been great talking with you once again. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much because that helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. 
that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.